everyone, and welcome to the, this episode of the M&A Mastermind Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Olson, Managing Director of Cornerstone International Alliance. This is the place where I'm lucky enough to talk with the experts in the M&A world focused on the lower middle market, and we can have a conversation about topics that can help you level up your M&A firm. Um, so today's guest I'm really excited about, um, he's got a laundry list of credentials, a lawyer, corporate executive, transition mediator, uh, M&A advisor for many years, and has been a buyer, seller, and entrepreneur himself. Um, he's been in the uh, in, in the industry for over 30 years, and he has been an author of his of a book called Home Run, A Pro's Guide to Selling Your Business. Um, he writes an amazing weekly blog that really gives great insights into the M&A world. Um, he is a founding member of Cornerstone International Alliance. Um, he is also a founding board member for our inter, for our alliance. Um, and I'm uh, really honored to have Jim Cumby uh, join me today. Hey, Jim. Did you say I had a lot of dirty laundry? Is that what you said? Did I say that? I, I didn't mean to. I thought I said a laundry list of credentials. No, okay, 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 laundry list. Yes, okay, okay. okay. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, well, welcome, Jim. I appreciate you joining me today. Um, Thanks, Nick. And like I said, uh, this is the place where I bring in experts like yourself, <laughs> and we hit on a topic and uh, kind of dive deep into, you know, your experiences and how it's uh, gone for you. So, um, you know, one thing I always and I, and I you should you should trademark this phrase because I love it so much. Um, you know, when we're talking in our meetings and our mastermind sessions, and you know, we're bringing on new members as you know, looking at bringing them on and and how uh, how everyone's so different, you know. You you coin yourself as a solopreneur. Um, what is that? You know, why don't you, why don't you give us some of your insights well, on what that means? I didn't I didn't invent that phrase. I've I I mean that that comes from a book I read somewhere years ago. Um, you know, solopreneur. I guess that it's kind of a combination. I'm an entrepreneur that works by him by himself or herself. I'm a solopreneur. Um, maybe not by you know, I think when I started doing this, Nick, I didn't, I didn't assume I was going to be a solopreneur, but over time I've, I've, I've become one, but that's a, a, a business owner that works by, by himself. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I guess what's led you to the, I mean, give us the, the history of, you know, kind of where you started and where you are today and, you know, what path you took to become, you know, a solopreneur in, in the M&A world. Well, actually, there, there's a there's a reason I'm a solopreneur. It didn't happen by accident. Uh, uh, I, I went to law school. Uh, always wanted to be a lawyer. Um, uh, I practiced law for a, a short period. Didn't love it, um, so I decided to kind of do a kind of a bit of a career change. So I went to business school, and I got to business school, and I had not had any business training in college. All of, all of my college was focused on going to law school. I studied history, political science, English, liberal arts, how to write, how to read, uh, all skills I thought would train me for, you know, a career in law. And then fast forward a few years, I got to business school and I go, oh, I don't know any of this stuff. But uh, when I got to business school, I just completely loved it. I, um, I was behind in a lot of ways, but I, I, I think because I loved it so much, I was able to catch up pretty quickly and really realized I wanted to be in, in business, not in the law. Um, now, having said that, I'm still a member of the Missouri Bar. Uh, I don't practice law. In fact, when I when the, in my engagements, I make it very clear I am not your lawyer. 
you will retain a lawyer, uh, and I, but I'll, I'll help you do that. I'll work alongside the lawyer. I, and I love that part of what I do, but it's, uh, but I, I'm not practicing law today. Um, after law school, uh, as I said, I ended up in business school. After business school, I ended up in Orlando, um, and did um, uh, real estate in, uh, development there for a period, and then went to work for the Walt Disney Company in the early 90s when Disney was really ramping up their real estate development in Orlando to develop their non-theme park assets. Was involved in the in the launch of Celebration, the Disney Institute, Disney Vacation Club, and some some other kind of non theme park businesses. Really love that work. I love the people. I love the Walt Disney Company. Even to this day, I still miss the Disney Company, but I really want them to be an entrepreneur. So I bought a radio business in Nashville, which is a whole other story how that happened, and um, bought a business in bankruptcy basically, <clears throat> and. Um, it's, it's always better to be lucky than good because a couple of years after buying these radio, I bought three radio stations and a radio network, a satellite network. Uh, a couple of years after buying these stations in bankruptcy, Congress deregulated radio ownership and the loss of supply and demand kicked in and my station value skyrocketed. So I was able to sell the stations four years after I bought them to a publicly traded radio company, Salem Communications. And I went to work for Salem kind of running their non-radio businesses, uh, digital businesses, publishing, internet, um, software. And through that work, I got involved in M&A, doing a lot of acquisitions. We were, we were building up that, that, that line of businesses through, through acquisition, not through organic growth. And uh, did that for nine years and really loved Salem, loved the company, loved the values of the company. Um, but when the recession hit, they didn't need me anymore, and I didn't really like managing people the way I had kind of grown into it because as I, we'd make acquisitions, they fell under me, and I had a lot of people I was responsible for. It just kind of wasn't, wasn't what I was suited to do. So I started my practice in 2009 um, to, to kind of be a, a solo practitioner consultant. And um, that's kind of how I morphed into being a solopreneur. It wasn't, it wasn't um, um, something I saw too far in advance coming. But when I decided to go out on my own, I also made the decision I didn't want to manage a lot of people. I had done that. I didn't feel I was all that good at it, frankly. And uh, I just, I can manage myself pretty well. And I like the work. So that's kind of how I've become a solopreneur. Jim, that was, uh, that was a very rich history and uh, and a unique way to get to uh, where you're at today. So I appreciate you diving into that. Mm -hmm. um, who wouldn't love working for Walt Disney, right? Yeah, yeah, great company. I I, I still follow it to this day. All, all the people I worked with are gone. You know, all the leadership, of course, is gone. But um, yeah, it's a it's a fun company to to have in your background. You can probably look behind my desk and see some Disney paraphernalia even to this day still kind of part of my heart and soul yeah right um so as a solopreneur you know i would imagine it comes with some benefits and some challenges um like what do you see as your advantages by working uh, and kind of being uh you know your uh, your own your own boss and your own employees well the um you know, there's, you look at advantages and disadvantages. I guess you could say that from a personal perspective, as well as from a client perspective, there's advantages and disadvantages. Um, from a personal perspective, um, you know, I, I guess I feel like I've only got so much bandwidth. 
you know, mental, mental bandwidth, if you will, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> that I can dedicate to work. And, you know, I, I, I like to dedicate that bandwidth to my clients and the work I'm doing. And uh, I'm kind of constantly thinking about where to go here, what to do next there, thinking about my clients. I don't, I don't have to put any bandwidth toward other people. And that's, I, that sounds kind of selfish. And I, I, I don't think I really mean it to be selfish. It's just a, a choice I've made how to allocate <clears throat> Uh, what kind of mental capacity I might have is I allocate it toward my clients. Um, the, the disadvantages is, uh, you know, there are times when, you know, I, I want to think through something have somebody to talk to and, uh, you know, just say, am I thinking about this right? Uh, I'm, a, I'm a great value of coaching. You know, Tiger Woods to this day still has a coach, you know. Uh, so to say, hey, did I handle that correctly? Did I do that right? I, I value that and I, I don't have that. And I think, you know, it's a real key benefit to me of being part of the Cornerstone International Alliance that I've got people like you and Scott and Bob and Mike, and I could go on and on and on, you know, the Sarah, the folks that I have met that I just like a lot and like being around, you know, and to say, am I thinking about this right? So I go to meetings and hear their feedback and, uh, and get their perspective. So I think if you're going to be a solopreneur in any, in any endeavor, you know, search out uh, uh, organizations that you can be a part of where you can get some feedback and some uh, help along the way, some perspective. Now, from a client perspective, the advantage of being a solopreneur is I look a client in the eye and say, listen, if you hire me, you're hiring me. I'm going to be the person by your side, good, bad, or otherwise. I'm not out kind of trying to drum up business to, to, to push through a pipeline. Um, uh, so. Uh, some clients, I presumably find that an advantage. Some clients may go, I'm not sure I want to work with this guy. Um, uh, but, uh, so the, the advantage to a client is they, they know when they retain me, they retain me and they retain, you know, me on a kind of a 24 seven basis. Um, the downside to retaining me is I, I get busy and I have to sometimes kind of manage, uh, workflows. I've, I've got a client now that, um, retained me about a month ago and I was just kind of going into the final stages of a closing and had my, my brain was sort of focused there. So I, I really couldn't give him a whole lot of attention. Uh, but I try to be real honest with my clients and kind of tell them where I am and my, my, my flow of, of business and what's going on. So that, that's, that's the advantage, that's the advantage and disadvantage from a, from a client standpoint of being a mm-hmm. solopreneur. Yeah, I mean, you're very right. You know, even from a client and from a you know personal perspective, I appreciate those those insights. And um, you know, I got to imagine, you know, the deal process is long. It's got a lot of different stages, a lot of different components to it. I, I would imagine uh, that you would agree with me that you being involved in each stage of the deal um, only helps you and uh, best serve your client and best you know finding the best buyer for your client. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on, on being part of, you know, the entire process from, you know, document creation, buyers list creation, you know, um, due diligence, management meetings, all that sort of stuff. Well, you know, I'm not sure how you could do it otherwise. I, I, I know a lot of firms are centered around, you got one group that's kind of focused on business development and getting the clients, then you turn that over to a group of analysts or junior folks to kind of run the process and then the senior folks kind of get back involved when it gets really kind of, kind of dicey. 
you know, I, 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 um, it kind of goes back to what I said, whenever a client, you know, considers me for, for an engagement, I say, listen, I'm, I'm going to be the guy by your side for, for better or for worse throughout the entire process. And I do think there is a, a bit of history that I, you know, come to the table with, um, you know, um, that, you know, the deal, deal history with a particular client, I can kind of, you know, maybe put pieces together because I've, I've, I've been involved in every, every phase of a transaction. Um, but, um, so in that sense, it's, it's, it's all I've known. So I, I can't really compare it to a different model other than what I've observed. And based on what yeah. I've observed, I'm not sure how, how well that's, that really serves a client interest all that well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, to me, it just naturally makes a lot of sense that the more you're now, involved. What I will say, Nick, I will say in, 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 uh, as a knock on that is, and I tell my clients this to say, listen, um, I may not be the fastest guy to run your deal from beginning to end. Um, I don't have an infrastructure of people behind me that can take what I do and run with it and blow through a process. Um, and, and so if speed is your objective. I may not be your guy. Now, um, uh, I think I can hold my own against any process that, that may be run by any firm, but I sometimes just have to manage when I start and stop things just based on my, my workloads. But um, most clients that have hired me have not been in the, I got to get to market. I got to do a transaction. You know, I, uh, you know, speeds my objective. Yeah, let's go. But I, I, I do want to be clear about that. That is an issue. If, and if that's an objective, of, of, if speed is an objective, I may not be the right guy. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like you set those expectations up front, which is probably important. And so you're, you and your client are on the same page um, mm -hmm. on what to expect and how long it's going to take. And I mean, essentially, you're going to be uh, working together for uh, six, 12 months, right? Well, yeah. you know, it's funny you say that because I'll, I'll actually say to my client, listen, I, I and I, I will always kind of preface it and say, look, I, I don't want you to respond to this right now. I just want you to think about something you really better think about whether you like me or not, because you're going to be seeing me, hearing from me a lot. Um, and uh, it's true. I mean, it's just, it's just a tr true statement. And, and uh, um, you know, so it's, 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 I just finished a transaction a couple of weeks ago and the guy hired me when we started about a year ago. And mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you just, you're on the phone all the time. You're emailing all the time. You're, you're talking all the time. I know his wife well. I've gotten to know his kids. I mean, you know, it's it's a it's a it's you know, it really is a relationship business. And yeah, absolutely. Um, how do you you know how do you manage that up front? Because I gotta I gotta imagine at some point you have to figure out if if your personalities work together. You feel like you can be successful. You are spending so much time together. Like how do you how do you you know, figure that out on the front end before you get too deep and figure out like, yeah, this just isn't going to work. We're not, you know, connecting well on a, <clears throat> on a personality or personal level. Yeah, that's a really good question. And I, I don't know that I've got a silver bullet answer. <laughs> I, I guess the, the best barometer for that is valuation. That if I look at a company and say, um, uh, I really think I can sell this company for $15 million. And the clients go, well, you know, I think it's worth 25 or I've got a friend that sold his for 25. And, you know, that, that, that if you, if that's such an important 
factor in the decision. And by the way, I should, I should make it clear. I don't let a client hire me until we have consensus on valuation. Yeah. So that, that, and I've never really thought about it until you asked the question, but I think that's probably my barometer for if I can really work with somebody, if they're reasonable on valuation, if they, because it's, it's, it's the number one, are they, are they, are their expectations reasonable? But number two, are they malleable in their thinking? If I say to a client, I think your business is worth $15 million. <clears throat> and if he or she says, well, I was hoping for 20, why do you say 15? And then if they go, okay, well, that makes sense. Then, then you kind of know you, you're on a, you can communicate, you can, you can move them. You can, you can uh, have some back and forth with them. Um, so I think that's, that's kind of become my barometer. If somebody's just really difficult about their expectation, yeah. doesn't want feedback. I've got a guy in mind, by the way, I'm not going to use his name, but I mean, I've got a guy in mind that I met with a couple of weeks ago and you just, you just sort of know this guy doesn't, he's going to be trying to tell me how to do my work the whole time. He's going to, he's got his expectations set. Mm-hmm. It's just doesn't feel right. So I, yeah. you're, you're asking me a, a question that's got a very squishy answer, but it's kind of like you, it's kind of like, you know, you, you know, it when you see it kind of thing, it's hard right. to define it in advance. Yeah. And you got to do that on the front end too, because like I, you know, you don't want to get too deep into that, but you know, I think you hit on it where you know, nail on the head with, you gotta, you gotta have a collaborative, you know, relationship because right. you know, if you're, you're, you're putting your stake in the ground here and, your clients putting their stake in the ground here and it's not, you know, connected. It's just going to be a challenge, you know, throughout right. the whole thing. And like you said, you might be here, but you know, you go through the process and you might get closer to that 20 million, but he's he or she's willing to give a little bit too. And, you know, just that, <laughs> that collaborative, you know, Hey, we're going at this together. It's not, you know, I am, I am on your team, right. You know, I want to get you the best value possible, but let's manage expectations. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, so we talked a lot about so far, you know, you um, being a, a solopreneur, um, you know, I find this very interesting that in the M&A world, you know, I don't know if it's the same. I think it's, it's, it's more of a lower middle market thing, in my opinion, but I might be wrong. Um, we have 26 firms currently um, in our alliance, and I've gotten to know all of them very well and understand their structures very well and how they run their firms very well. and we have 26 different ways to run an M&A firm um, and they're all successful, which is the, which is the, which is the great thing. And the funny thing to me that you can have all these different ways of doing the same thing, essentially. What, why do you think that is, or what are your thoughts on that as to how that works? Well, it's interesting. It, it, it may be the nature of consulting. <clears throat> you know, there, there is no one model for how consulting works. And at the core, what, what we do, we're consultants. And we get paid on a on a uh, success fee basis, but we're consultants. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I, <clears throat> I think if you just look at consulting as an industry and go, there are thousands of different ways to make consulting work. Um, so I, I, I think it just may be endemic to to the the nature of the kind of work we do, which is consulting, you know, business owners through a process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes that makes total sense. Um, <clears throat> and so, you know, one thing we talk to a lot about um, within our group is, 
you know, how to stay top of mind relevant. How are you generating leads? You know, how are, how are you letting people out in the world know about you and what you do? Um, what are some ways that, I mean, like you'd mentioned before, you only have so much mental capacity, so much time in a day. Um, and a lot of that time gets focused on your clients. But I think you do a really good job of managing your business development efforts, um, making sure that you are staying top of mind, you are providing good content for your network. How do you manage the time and how do you do that so well? Well, thank you. I'm not I'm not <clears throat> sure I agree with you that I do it well, but but, uh, you know, when I came out of business school, I my first boss, I said earlier, I was in real estate development. I worked for a uh, company called Trammell Crow Company. And if you know anything about the real estate development industry, Trammell Crow is just a, a, a you know, mythical figure, wonderful man. He's passed away. Uh, in fact, when I worked with him, even he was in his seventies back in the, in the eighties, I, and there's now the second, third generation that's run the company, but a wonderful guy. <clears throat> and he's, he was one of these guys who just would just say these incredibly insightful things. You just kind of wanted to be around him because he would just say these really, you know, things that these little gems. He said to us one time, I think it was at a conference. He said, luck has been at the right place at the right time. So go get in a lot of places. Mm. And I'm telling you, Nick, I mean, I, that was almost 40 years ago when I heard Trammell say that. And, and you know, I kind of go, gosh, a lot of it, a lot of my success in life has just been in the right place at the right time. You have to be attentive. You have to be thinking. You've got to be, you know, ready to kind of receive information. But so under that premise, you know, being a solopreneur, I, I, by definition, I can't be in a lot of places. So you, that's where you kind of go, well, you know, you can, you can leverage yourself through, through, you know, digital uh, activities. So <clears throat> I've always enjoyed writing. So I started writing a blog, um, uh, I don't know, six or seven years ago. And um, uh, so I, I put out a regular blog. Uh, it goes to, a, you know, a several hundred people. Uh, kind of in the Nashville, you know, community. I've got friends around the country that read it. Um, and then I post that blog on LinkedIn uh, regularly. And that kind of opens up kind of a whole nother avenue of, of people. So I have found uh, that I'm, I'm involved in Nashville and some professional organizations and some nonprofits. And so I'm kind of in the community uh, uh, pretty actively. Um, I just found it just kind of being out there. I, I remember I, <clears throat> I got a call one day from a, a lawyer here in town guy runs a pretty large law firm and um he said hey jim i just got your blog this morning he didn't say you read it he said i just saw your blog he, I, I just saw your blog and it made me think my mother-in-law has a business and it, so that i mean it, it was just like he was thinking about his mother-in-law's business he sees my blog and he calls me i mean so yeah. you know uh um i had a <clears throat> i had a call um um a couple of months ago from a, a, a guy I went to business school with and I graduated from business school 40 years ago and he and I have stayed connected on LinkedIn, but we have, you know, we don't see each other. He's in California and I'm, I'm here. And, and he called me and said, Hey, my uncle um, uh, owns a business in Memphis. And he, he and I were just talking over the holidays about, he wants to sell it. Maybe you could help him. So, you know, how do you, <clears throat> how do you plan for that? You just, um, it just totally, um, um, you know, kind of top of mind awareness. I think the key, if you're going to be in the in the digital outreach business, is to um, provide useful information. <clears throat> My blogs are always 
stories I've heard, you know, situations I've encountered. I changed the names. I changed the fact pattern so as to not embarrass anyone or identify one. But I try to just provide content about how M&A works, how business ownership works, funny things I've heard from a business owner, lessons learned. Um, So just trying to be out there and be active and be credible. Um, I mean, I, I, there's, there's no, there's no um, secret to to it. I think beyond just being credible. Credible. Yeah. I mean, you got to provide value, but I also think the one thing that you do well is consistency. Um, If your ebbs and your ebbs and flows on when you're putting out content, then you're not going to necessarily, you know, people aren't going to look for it. Like, Every Tuesday, every week, I'm going to go make sure I go read Jim's blog. Yeah. They know that it's coming out. They're going to go do that. Um, and, you know, so I think that's that's important. And, you know, you and I um, have a, a common um, a common denominator in the in the content creation space. And, and you and I have both worked with um, the group based out of Nashville, right? Brand Builders Group. And, mm-hmm. you know, the thing that I've learned, and I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on, like, one of the top – takeaway or two that you've gotten that's helped your firm is exactly that you got to create content to stay relevant to provide value and you got to be consistent with it but you also have to have a you know a concise message i think that's one of the biggest things like you got to know who you are you got to know what you're good at and what you're not good at and speak to your strengths right and if you have that provide that consistent message um you're gonna be looked at as a thought leader and you're going to, you know, those, the, the constant amount of content you're putting out there, like you said, you can't, you can't plan for it. Well, the only way you can plan for it is being consistent and constantly putting out good content because one day that person is going to open up your email and be like, I remember Jim, I'm going to call him because my mother in law is like, that's how it works. And that's how you do yeah, I was, it. No, I, was, I was talking to my mother-in-law last night and then, you know, yeah. the next morning he sees my email. I mean, you, again, yeah. you, it's, 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 it's Trammell Crow. Luck is being the right place at the right time. So we'll get in a lot of places. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, I think, I think when you don't put out your content, I mean, I think you're only, you know, doing yourself and your company a disservice. I mean, we all in this industry, I think are, you know, as, as a whole are very smart, intelligent, really good business people. Mm-hmm. And so not, why not put that knowledge you have in your head and share it with your network and, That'll right. only help you out and and kind of coming up with those situations that, you know, you may not have had if you didn't put that content out. So I think, you know, what's, what's funny, though, well. I've never done this, but maybe someday when 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 I retire and have a lot of time on my hands, I'll do this. If you go back and look at, um, I don't know, several hundred blogs I've written over six or seven years, I bet you at the end of the day, there's probably only four or five problems, <laughs> And they all kind of have different permutations, different characters, but they're really only four or five issues. And right. and if you can really kind of get a handle around what those are, um, because I'm, I'm in a stage in my life, maybe it's just an age thing, where a business owner will start to lay out their problem or their situation. And, and not long before I'm going to go, yeah, I've seen this. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, yeah, yeah oh, yeah. And they always think it's them. I'm the only one who's ever suffered this. I've only been in this situation. Yeah. But almost invariably, I go, yeah, I've, I've seen that before. I've seen, and, and some of the, some of the fact patterns that helped me solve a problem before will help me solve another problem in a different set of fact patterns. But the core of the issues are remarkably consistent. <laughs> the problems are remarkably consistent. Right. Right. Yeah. 
No, and I just want to say kudos to you because I think you do it the right way as far as content goes, and it's, it is important. Um, so, you know, I always, you know, look at your, your stuff and be like, oh, I can, you know, we can do something similar. You know, I like how we did that, or we can share it on LinkedIn. Like, just the, the and that's, and that really was, is what's nice about our group is, you know, you put out these amazing blogs, we share it in our own networks, and your content gets put out to all these other people that sure. maybe you didn't have, or, you know, sure. if, if you weren't part of a group like this. And so I think that's also the power of the, the alliance that we've built is, is we got really good M&A firms in our group that uh, that do it the right way and and we work together and share each other's stuff i think that's awesome yeah you gotta you gotta you gotta be you know you want to you want to have people in your alliance that are givers not all takers Correct. people that are open to ideas people that are willing to share mm-hmm. um so that that's that's key and, and by the way just professionally that's the kind of people you want to be around anyway are mm-hmm. people that are that are givers and not just takers mm-hmm. yeah i mean you know, and just talking about the industry in general, um, I mean, you know, you're you're pitching a client. I want to take kind of a you know a little left hand turn here. You're, you're pitching a client, um, and we're explaining what you do um, and how you help them. Like, how how do you describe that to to your clients and and to try to you know sell your services a little bit? Because you know, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think a lot of the business owners that we work with might not you know, be ready or might not know that they need someone to represent them in a sale of a business. So I guess, how do you make them aware of what, what, what you do and what we all do? Well, I may, I may, I may even take exception with the question. I think, I think in most cases, business owners will call somebody like me or any, any M&A firm mm. um, when they're generally ready to do something. Uh, now they may not; their business may not be ready to do what they want to do, but yeah, they're right. generally calling for a reason. I've I've kind of I've compared <clears throat> what we do to like wedding planners. I mean, yeah. you don't you don't need a wedding planner until you need a wedding planner uh, or a mortician. I mean, you can you know f- pick pick your metaphor. But yeah. um, uh, now, as I said, a lot of times business owners. I've, I've got a call this afternoon with a business owner to say your business isn't ready to be sold. I mean, you're, you, you called me initially because you want to sell your business, um, but it's not ready to be sold. Um, I had, I had lunch with two ladies uh, last week at a really nice business here, but, but kind of given the growth trend they're on, they're really better off to wait two years to sell. Mm-hmm. Um, and what you want to do is provide quality advice. I think a lot of M&A people would say, yeah, I'll go to market. Yeah, let's go. We can take you and I can sell you and it's all going to be great. And you got a good business. Uh, but I was able to sit down with them and say, listen, you got a business now that could be sold, but if you wait two years based on the growth trend I'm seeing and what you're telling me, I think your business will be worth X, um, X more than you're selling for now. So I think just being able to provide quality, you know, advice that really gets to um, uh, help them think strategically about their, their future is, is what business owners are really needing um, and like I said, if the business owner doesn't want that, then I'm probably not the right guy for them. Yeah. No. And I think on some level, you know, they gotta, you know, your clients have to appreciate the fact that, you know, you're not in it just to make another sale. You're in it to do what's best by them. Like I said, if you're, you're telling someone to wait two years, you know, that's two years down the road that, you know, you're waiting on, you know, selling the business yep. and, and getting your commission. And so, no, I, I mean, mean I- 
<clears throat> I've actually said, you know, when you're, if you're going through a process looking at other business brokers or other M&A advisors, don't pick somebody that needs the money more than you do. Right. Yeah. Yep. Very good advice. Very good advice there. Um, so, you know, what would your advice be, you know, I guess twofold someone, you know, I guess I'll ask the question first, who's looking to get into the M and a industry, you know, brand new, like what would your advice to them be as to maybe, you know, what they're in for, what they need to do to set themselves up for, uh, for success. Well, I had that conversation a lot. Um, as you might imagine, um, now, I don't know if you can tell on the video, but I've got a fair amount of white hair, um, so which means which means I've been around a while. Um, I was able to start my practice in 2009 on my own because I had well I had run an M and A group, basically run M and A for nine years for for uh, for a publicly traded company, uh, mm -hmm. or you know doing a lot of M and A, let's say. So I, I really had a lot of experience in the space. So if you're starting, you, you really better start with a lot of experience um, or have a mentor who can really train you to have, you know, to, to, to learn. Too often people, uh, I, I see all the time people, business owners that sell a business and then say, well, I've sold a business, therefore I can, I know how to, I know how business brokerage works. Well, no, that's not even remotely right. Let's have a, I had an appendectomy a few weeks ago. I'm not ready to start doing appendectomies just because I had one. So I think you really have to, if you uh, find an organization that you can really be mentored by someone who knows uh, how the process works and who has patience to train. The second thing is, this is a, this is really a long sales cycle and a long uh, the, for the sales cycle is long and the process is long. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I had coffee a few months ago with a really sharp uh, guy in early forties, trying to think about business brokerage. And I said, if you can, if you can, if you can comfortably handle two years of no income, this may be something you want to do. And I say comfortable. I mean, you, you really have to be not impatient, not jittery, not always looking over your shoulder, really be comfortable. I've got two year runway and be up, by the way, be able to invest some money to kind of do it right. You know, buy the tools that you need and you know, invest in the services, you know, the, the databases and all, all that, that you really do need to do this well uh, and establish a presence. So it's um, uh, that combination of factors makes it pretty rare. The number of folks that can come in and really be successful over time. Yeah. Um, uh, so a mentor, um, have the benefit of time and have ice water in your veins because, um, it's, uh, even when you get into the cycle, you get a client and you're selling the company, things can go wrong and things can, 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 uh, um, can break down. I, you know, one of my, one of my best references over the years were a, a company I sold it's about six years ago, two brothers. It was a large transaction being bought by a publicly traded company. And we were having issues kind of toward the end on working capital, I believe. But it was really got contentious and difficult. And we had a we had a real heart-to-heart -heart conversation and, and I advised them to walk. I said, I think the best way to to 
push this envelope is to tell the buyer, no, we're not doing this deal. We're standing firm. Mm -hmm. And we did that. And guess what? The buyer gave in and we got what we wanted and we got the deal closed. And they, they said, you know, Jim, the fact that you were willing to advise us to walk away from the transaction, we were still going to have the company. We, they were doing fine. Yeah. You know, but I was going to walk away with zero. They said the fact that you were you gave us that quality of advice that, you know, put us at the top of the list of people that, you know, uh, when you when you want to give a reference, put us at the top of the list. Yeah. And, I, and that's that's I got to tell you, Nick, that was hard to do. I'm not I, I, I look back in that and I remember saying, what am I doing? Is this, you know, but it was the right advice. It got it got us over the hump. We got the deal closed. Uh, but I'm telling you, that's that's tough. But you've got to be able to do that to be to look yourself in the mirror and to give clients the quality advice that they really deserve. Right. Right. Like you said, you, 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 you're doing right by them. You don't have to have the sale to quote unquote survive. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's definitely a good thing for your clients as well. Mm -hmm. What, um, if you were to give also advice to someone who wants to follow your path and be a solopreneur in the M&A world, um, what would your advice be to them? Well, like I said, you've got to, you, you have to, you have to know how this works. I mean, you, you have to, you have to kind of know how to, um, how to find buyers, uh, and how to, how to kind of work through a process. Now, I think that the first decision you would make is to say, listen, do you want to be, do you want to be a main street broker or do you want to kind of do lower middle market work? Um, the entry point for each of those is, is very different. Um, how you do the process is very different. Um, so I think, I think the first thing I would say is, um, you know, if you're kind of starting from scratch, maybe coming out of a corporate job, you don't like your corporate job. You're thinking about, I'm going to make a career move. I'd say, you know, go to, you know, go to a M&A source conference, go to an IBBA conference, just kind of walk around, meet people, you know, go to seminars. Um, th that's kind of a good starting point. And then um, having, having a mentor, I think is, is just, a, just critical, a mentor or a firm you can join that can help you, you know, kind of be a part of their, their process, or you, you join a process that's already working. Mm -hmm. Um I think would be um, a, a good thing. And then, and then maybe over time become a solopreneur. I think, I think, I mean, Nick, I think the, um, doing it the way I did is, is, is such a unicorn because, because I was older, because I had had a lot of experience in M&A because I had, you know, a law degree and an MBA. I mean, I just, I just, I just brought a lot to the table that I think uh, uh, gave me, uh, a confidence level, if nothing else, that I really knew what I was doing. Mm -hmm. uh, and maybe I didn't always know what I was doing, but I kind of had confidence that I could get myself through it. I, I just think um, being a solopreneur is a, is a tough way of doing this without having laid the foundation, I guess is what I'm saying. Right, right. That was very good advice. It makes total sense because you don't have that foundation you might be you know struggling or setting yourself up for failure and you know, or you just or you end up you end up giving bad advice you just end up giving lousy advice good point and you're you're going to fail you're just you're going to fail um 
if you give bad advice, just the, the law of the universe will kick in and crush you if you give bad advice to people. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, Jim, no, I really appreciate your time um, and your insights. I think uh, I learned, you know, you and I talk uh, often and I even learned some some new uh, some new things today. And I really appreciate it. I know our audience will um, definitely take away some some key value propositions from from our discussion today and really appreciate you joining me. Well, Nick, I appreciate that. And I appreciate you and your our, our friendship, professional and personal, uh, and the friendships we've been able to build together through through the Cornerstone International Alliance. Well, I, I'll just I'll just say this though. I mean, I, I don't I'm not trying to hear I'm not here to tell anybody that I've got it figured out that, you know, go replicate my model. This is how you do it. I this is all a work in progress. And I, I frankly think that's one of the reasons I like it, because I mean every transaction is different. Uh, although, some, like I said earlier, some, the, the problems tend to kind of show up and be similar, but every transaction is different. Every every client is different. Um, I mean, it's it's a complete work in progress. Um, you know, I'm not creating widgets here. That, that right. so, I I feel like I'm learning every day. Um, so I I don't want people to hear this and go, this is a guy who thinks he's got it all figured out because I don't. I. I but I enjoy the process of figuring it out. And I, and I enjoy being around people that are open to the process of figuring it out, like my, you know, our friends in the, in the Alliance. So, yeah. um, you know, I, uh, uh, don't take anything I've said too literally. It's just, I'm just one guy that's, you know, well, swimming well, out here and trying to try and do his, do his best. Yeah, no. And I think that's really what this podcast is for. And I think that's really the foundation in which, we created Cornerstone International Alliance was, you know, it's a, we call it a judgment-free zone, right? Like you're saying this works for you. And I might say, you know, this is how I did that same thing. And someone else might say the same thing. And as you're listening, you're taking little bits and pieces of, you're just consuming all this information. Yeah, it's not like absolutely. Making it work for you and in your own practice. And, and I don't think anybody in our group would say, you know, oh, Jim, Jim's, Jim's doing it this way. You know, he says we should do it. Like, there's none of that within our group. No, it's all like, no. We're all doing it a little differently. We all have our processes. We're all, no. you know, smart enough to be like, okay, I can take that and that work for me. But mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. person said, that nah, really wouldn't work for my firm. So, you know, just kind of take those bits and pieces and implement for your own, you know, right. practices uh, and how you do Absolutely. things. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Um, but yeah, so. Again, uh, appreciate your time, Jim. Um, that's all we have for today on this episode of the M&A Mastermind Podcast. Um, do Jim and, and myself a favor, like, share, and comment this video. Um, share it with people who might find it interesting, who might find value out of it. Um, and definitely uh, come back and, and, and check out our future episodes. You can find all of our episodes on cornerstoneia.com slash podcast. And definitely... Definitely take advantage of your connections and lean on them to best suit you and your life and your professional and personal lives. And Jim, again, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Nick. Have a good day. Thank you.